Christy. How are you today? Good morning, Kara. I'm looking forward to talking about Roots and Sky with you. Me too. Me too. Let's let's go ahead and dive right in. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your book? Well, this book is uh, it's a book about a house. It's a book about a place. And it's a, a book about our first year in this old Pennsylvania farmhouse, so the first four seasons there. It's part memoir, so it tells the story of our, our daily lives in those seasons. Um, but it's also a great deal of um, just reflection and contemplation on um, spiritual themes and the seasons and um, what it means to come home, what it means to really um, abide in a place. So why don't you tell me a little about your connection to the seasons, both natural seasons and those of the church year? Well, I grew up without seasons. So in a way, I think that's where it begins. It begins in the not having seasons. I grew up in Texas, um, and seasons were what I found in books. Um, It was the construction paper um, leaves that we cut out and colored every autumn (laughs) to tape on our classroom windows. Um, And so seasons were um, something that belonged to books and stories, films, uh, things like that, but not something that I really experienced. And then um, when I was about 20, I left Texas and I moved to Virginia, so I experienced four distinct, beautiful seasons for the first time, and it was glorious. Um, And so I had a few years of my life where seasons became a natural thing, and that rhythm really um, worked its way into my daily life. And then I moved south again, so I I spent a few years living in Florida, and once again I didn't have seasons. So seasons for me have been this um, not having, having, losing, and and through that realizing I I don't want to live without them. Um, Mm. And so, you know, that was my experience with the natural seasons, but throughout those years as well I was um, beginning to learn more about seasonal rhythms in the spiritual life and Um, how seasons have been a part of Christian faith traditionally over the centuries, and um, slowly these things became woven together, and um, I felt that um, living with seasons in the natural world, but living with um, spiritual seasons and paying attention to spiritual seasons was no longer um, optional or some extra thing for me, but over time really became... um, I don't know, as necessary as food and air, I think. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the, the liturgical seasons. Uh, you know, I think they're they're like the music of the year. They just, um, they, they're the rhythm. They, um, they remind us that every day isn't the same. You know, time mm-hmm. isn't just this endless sameness. And the way we live today in our world, we can forget that and we can feel as if that's true, as if Sunday is just like Tuesday and um, December is just like July. And um, so the liturgical seasons um, remind us that um, sometimes they're set apart, sometimes they're special, sometimes they're sacred, sometimes they're or, or ordinary or are more repetitive and simply counted. Um, but also the liturgical seasons tell a story. So as a writer and as a storyteller and as someone who loves to read and loves stories, um, living with a sense and an observance of the liturgical seasons is like paying attention to the, to the story of God in the world. Um, and lastly, 
I'm a mom, so I have four young kids, and I'm, I think, like a lot of um, uh, religious or spiritual parents, trying to figure out how do I hand uh, my faith experience down to my children. Not how do I force feed it, but how do I share with them why I believe what I do and how it impacts my life. And um, and so paying attention to the liturgical seasons and celebrating them and observing them with my kids is a way to tell the story to them, like a bedtime story or something, but in a way that um, they can absorb, they can experience, um, and it doesn't have to be always a kind of teachy or preachy thing, um, although there are moments for that, but it can be a just a more natural um, part of our lives. And I think a lot of parents will say um, that kids, oh, my goodness, you do something twice with a child in the home, and they take it on as a tradition, and they will remind you, but we always do this. And I think, really? We did it twice. <laughs> so I don't know what it is about kids, but they they respond to daily rhythms, month, weekly, monthly, seasonal rhythms. And so um, if we are seeking to, um, you know, educate or influence our, our children in spiritual things, then tapping into that natural affinity um, for seasonal rhythms is, I think, I just wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to do it without, without that because it, um, it's such a help. So, yeah. Okay, so this book is about finding and making a home. Can you tell me what the word home means to you? Oh, goodness. Home. I think home is shelter and home is um, a protected space. But I don't mean that in the sense that it's um, it's my castle. You know, that, that old um, proverb, you know, a... Uh, you know, a home is, is a, his, you know, man's castle or whatever. And what I mean by that is I don't have a moat. I don't put up high walls. And, and that's one thing I talk a lot about in Roots and Sky is that home for me is the place where the door is open, the gates are thrown open, and um, other people are invited in. So home is shelter, but it's um, a shelter that I extend to others through hospitality. Um and um, home is where I practice. What I really see is my, um, I, I don't know, calling, that's uh, a big word for it, but, you know, my sort of purpose or biggest joy in life, which is placemaking. So that, um, you know, homemaking is a word maybe we're more familiar with, so I think it incorporates homemaking. But, you know, homemaking is, is gendered and, um, you know, slightly more limited than the thing I'm talking about. But I really feel that everything I do in my life, which includes my writing, my mothering, um, my gardening, <laughs> all of it, is about placemaking. So, so cultivating, creating, and caring for this place, making it more beautiful, and then inviting others into that, sharing it with others, and, and hopefully inspiring others to make places of their own that they will share. Um, so home is its so much more than these red bricks. It's all of these things, but I think most importantly it's, um, it's for me and my family, but it's for so many more people. So hospitality, I think. I can't I can't distinguish home from hospitality. Okay, so your family is really important to your story. Can you tell me a little bit about how they fit into the book and what they teach you about faith? Hmm. I 
think it's in my dedication to Roots and Sky that um, in part of it I, I mention my children um, and I say thank you to them because this place, this house would be only a house without them. And um, mm. I don't extend that to other people. I don't say that, you know, those who don't have young children in their home or, you know, don't have children don't actually have a home. I think we make a home in so many different ways. Um, but for me personally, um, children in this house and what they introduce, which is, is not easy. They bring noise. They bring chaos. They bring um, mess. <laughs> they break things. Um, the book opens with... Um, this memory of one of the first things that my boys did in this house is they slid down the banister, but they did it with their belts on their blue jeans, and those buckles scratched a deep, deep scar down the length of the banister. Um, so when I talk about um, how important kids are to the placemaking here and to our life here, I don't mean to paint some rosy picture because it's really hard at times. Um, and yet... Uh, it's such an important part um, of being in this place, and, and it's the hard things that um, I think help me to go to see deeper, to see beyond just the pretty surfaces. You know, if I didn't have kids, this place could be always neat, and it could be um, clean, and it could be um, looking good. Most of the time, it would be so easy to invite people into my home because it would always be ready to, you know, ready to look its best. And... Um, because I have these four young kids and I have, you know, neighbor kids running through the house. Um, frankly, it's always a, not just a bit of a mess, it's always a mess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's an important part of it, like learning to create beauty and cultivate peace, not by walling ourselves off in the mess and the chaos and the things that we can't control, Um but with those things, can we create beauty? Can we be at peace? Can we find rest? And can we share it with others even when life is messy, even when, um, you know, our daughter scribbles all over every wall and piece of furniture? I mean, can we still do it, right, under those circumstances? So that's one thing that kids mean to me. Um, but I think more than that, um, or just even beyond that, some of the backstory is that um, I always wanted to have children. I came from a larger family. I'm the oldest of four. And so I just grew up with this idea that family was noisy and family was loud and family was a lot of people. And so that's what family um, had always felt like to me. Um, and so I wanted something similar. But then over the years, I had a really hard time getting pregnant. So I had a hard time um, you know, adding to my family it was never something I could control, and and what that did is, um, I think, cultivate a deep dependence on God's provision. It grew my desire for children. I mean, one thing when they don't come easily, then you spend a lot of time wanting them, dreaming of them, longing for them, and so the experience of all of that longing and then seeing that longing fulfilled um, has really mirrored the experience of coming home, coming home, you know, the longing for the seasons, the longing for home, and then the fulfillment of that. I feel like that's a pattern that has been repeated for me again and again. So your faith seems to have changed quite a bit since you were younger, um, and you talk about that a little bit in the book. What was that transition like, and what might you say to those going through their own faith transition? 
Hmm, it's true that I don't experience my faith today the way I did as a child. And um, one thing I want to say about that is that is good, right, and normal. <laughs> Growing <laughs> up into any faith is um, a painful process, and it that is that just has to be true for everyone. Now, some will you know will experience that pain in different ways. It will look differently for each of us, but it's true for everyone. So even though I was raised in a um, believing, faithful, God-honoring household, the faith um, that I was taught, the faith I observed in those around me um, couldn't become mine without some trouble and without um, seasons of doubt and deep questions and um, sadness and, and the rest of it. So first of all, um, I think my story is, you know, not not unique in that way. And so I just want to encourage, um, you know, people who are just in the midst of working things out, like keep pressing on because this is good and necessary work. I think um, in so many ways my faith is it's the same in the sense that I feel like I'm living out or, you know, experiencing so much of what I was taught that was good and right. Um but part of making it my own has been the realization that the emphasis I understood on the spiritual life as a child is that spiritual things were not material things, that there was this divide between the, the spiritual life and the material life. And what I have experienced is that um, the truth is that Jesus came and lived among us and um, was embodied in flesh and, you know, ate fish and bread and shared wine with his friends, and that truth still matters today. So where do I experience God today? It's in the dirt, and it's in the kitchen, and it's in the garden, and it's side by side with other people, um, and more disembodied concepts of, like, heaven and um, things like that. They're, they're still a part of this faith. Um, but I just have a different experience of them and a different language for them. And heaven is no longer this far-off thing, but this growing present reality, heaven here on earth, um, thy kingdom come. So those are um, just hugely important to the story I tell in Roots and Sky, that sense of heaven here and now. So even though your book is about having dreams come true, it's also a lot about longing, and you, you touched on that a little bit earlier. Would you speak to the role of waiting and longing in your life and what you might say to people who are in in-between places as well? Mm, absolutely. I mean, the funny thing about this book is it's it's not a book about – it's not a book that ends with coming home to this house, Maplehurst, which was the fulfillment of um, – a desire and a dream. It begins with coming home to Maplehurst. Um, and I think that's important because I want people to understand what I learned, which is that the fulfillment of a dream or the realization of a promise um, is the beginning. And life after that, um, the story after that, you know, there's still a story to be told after that. And part of that story will continue to be more longing and not having and um dreaming of new things, like always I think as long as we're alive on this earth, there are new things for us, a new, um, just newness to experience. But I don't think we get to the newness without going through 
having the longing, some sorrow, some grief, and an experience of emptiness. Um, it's becoming aware of the emptiness, I think, that that opens our eyes to to what might fill that emptiness. Um, so I came home to Maplehurst. My dream was fulfilled. I felt like this promise of a of a place was was um, was given. And then I experienced um, emptiness in new ways, and I experienced um, different longings. But those have continued to be fulfilled in this place. So um, I guess I want to say it's like winter, right? Emptiness, Mm -hmm. longing, that's winter. And winter comes every year. Um, and it's good that it comes every year because without winter, nothing new would grow. And winter is hard. And I love snow. I love the beauty of winter. But like anyone else, by the end of March, I'm tired and I'm done and it's hard. And I don't. And I feel like spring will never come. <laughs> um, but it does. It does. It does. And um, and so yes, emptiness continues to come. We continue to walk through seasons where we feel like um, like we have nothing, and we're just waiting, we're just waiting. But that's winter, and winter always ends, and spring always comes. I've seen it over and over, and um, I continue to, to believe that for my own life. So as we close here, I'd just like to ask you one more question. Uh, as you as you send and have been sending Roots and in Sky into the world, what is it that you hope um, about this book? What is it that you hope that your readers will gain from it? What is it um, that you're you're sending? What What is the hope with which you're sending this book out? Hmm. I hope people read it and then they open their eyes and they look around their own home or their own city, their own place, and they say, God is here. He's here. I see him. Um, I see him in these trees, I see him in the sky, I see him in these difficult people, (laughs) but he's here. He's not far off, he's near, um, and I can dig into this place and experience more of him. So although it's a book about um, a very particular place and a very particular house, um, what I really hope is that it opens um, every reader's eyes to their own place and to the presence of God in that place. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Christy. This has been such a delight. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed it so, so much.